Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awa Kairangikitai, where I'm recording today. Hello. Hi. Hello. How was your week? Very busy. Definitely the bubble of holiday bliss has popped and we're back full steam ahead. How about you? Also busy. Just a lot. A lot on this week. My daughter turned 12. Yay. Momentous. She did not get an iPhone for her birthday, but she did get the other things on her list. So I think she was pretty happy. Um, Until she could actually answer me with who she would call, she doesn't get a phone because she doesn't need a phone. (laughs) Yeah. So... Uh, but yeah, I, I think it was I think it was busy as well. I feel like I don't remember much of it because I was just going the whole time and baking so much baking. Delicious. Did you do anything that sparked joy? Um, yeah, so I went to yet another football game last night. As you know, I've Yay. been to many, many football games. Um, and I went with my friend Meredith last night and we were hosted in the VIP lounge, which was very fancy and delightful. But when we walked in, who was there but our friend Mike? <gasps> Complete surprise. Really? So we oh, were like, ah! delightful it was just the so dream team yeah it was genuine joy to see Aww. each other and being like ah oh, random and so yeah we had a nice chat being there together without being there together having laughs having a good time yeah it was just really lovely it was nice to hang out so yeah. i like both of those people very much <laughs> <laughs> so i think that sounds like a great time even if it is football even if you're not a football person as you are not no yeah no but five goals scored by sweden and they were like three of them were scored within seven minutes so it was like Ooh. pretty action-packed and yeah, I'm like, yeah. yeah this is what i'm here for i also went to the usa netherlands game earlier in the week Ooh. and that was really really good to watch actually because there was a lot of elbows being thrown it was very physical a lot oh, of yeah. action happening even though it was a draw it was just actually good to watch i'm like ah things that happen <laughs> anyway it's all serious when it comes to a world cup i kind of love it i love the randomness of it as well like any country can win on the day right you don't have the uh-huh. hang-ups that you have of like a big league you just don't know it's so mm. whimsical and it's delightful well and right now the matildas have several people out on injuries well, sam kerr's back in she's back in but we lost mary fowler and someone else i can't i can't remember but like i was like what do you mean mild concussion what do you mean they can't play training should not be allowed these girls keep getting injured stop training immediately <sighs> i love mary fowler she's my like she and Polkinghorne are my two that i'm like they're the best they're secretly the best they're my favorites because everyone loves sam Kerr, and sam Kerr is great but like you gotta have the extra one you just kind of like cheer on quietly yeah definitely. the underdog if you will I mean, of the best women who play football in the country, the <laughs> underdogs. But yeah. What sparked joy for you this week? I think it was my daughter's birthday. Yeah. I, I got her the coolest handbag. It looks like a cartoon, but it's actually a three-dimensional object. But it looks like a drawing, which is really cool. And I will link where you can buy them in Australia. And then I also got her some Voyager stuff because we've been watching Aww. Voyager. She has a Voyager shirt that has like the com badge on it. And then I got her a Starfleet Academy hoodie, which is, she just loves it. She was wearing it all morning. It, it makes me happy that she's wearing fandom stuff. Like, I love that that's something she's into. And she was so excited when she opened them. And I thought this was worth it. <laughs> it's yeah. really worth it to like 
find Star Trek stuff for her. I love giving good presents, so that was just a nice thing. And um, the other thing that sparked joy for me this week is I finally figured out what I wanted for my birthday from my brother-in-law. He'd been hassling me about it. And when I was looking at my very dusty car, I thought, he is so fussy about his car, always looking perfect. And he washes it when we go over to, like, the parents' house on the weekend. So maybe I can just ask him to wash mine. And he did. And then he's like, once isn't enough. Next time you come over, if your car's dirty, I'll just wash it. How about for the year? And I was like, oh, that's too much. And he's like, no, no. I want to. And so I think I've got my car washes for the next year sorted. (laughs) That's amazing. What a great gift. I was just happy to have it like washed once by someone who wasn't me. Yeah, no, that's an awesome gift. Right? Good work. So useful. What do I need? Nothing really. But like that will make my life better. And I feel like your dad would not vomit if he saw my car now, like on the outside at least. I mean, the inside, I wouldn't let him get near it. But like if your dad walked by, he would be like, that is a clean car. Uh, I gave Meredith a ride home last night and she was like, your car's so clean. I'm like, I haven't cleaned it since like literally last year. And she's like, oh, what would your dad say? I'm like, I know. The last time I cleaned it was when I picked my mum up from the airport. I was literally cleaning it en route, being like, gotta clean the car. The car needs to be clean. She's gonna notice there's a bit of dirt. Honestly. He should not be the benchmark, is all I'm saying. We have to have a standard, though. Not that one. Um, (laughs) Well, this week we're reading chapters 11 to 19 through the theme of confusion. confusion. Did you have a story for us? Yeah, I do. Um, I don't know if I've spoken about this before, but when I was 13, 14, I got into really big trouble with my uncle's partner. Now, my family is a sarcastic family. There's not a lot of space to be sensitive there, which I've talked about before. But growing up, basically, we had to, like, be the first one in with the best singer. Like, that's the that's the thing we had to do. But it didn't really translate outside of my family a lot of the time. And and this is one of those stories where that happened. And I got in trouble Mm. for it. So this incident began at a family gathering with my dad's side of the family. His older brother was there. And he'd been living with his partner for years. She was trying to get us all to convince him to marry her. And, like, everybody was laughing and joking about this. And she was really, like, agitating for it. And I, I thought, ooh, I've got it. The funniest thing I can say. No, if you married my uncle, you'd have to wear a black wedding dress. Mm-hmm. You know, because it would be terrible to marry him. And everyone laughed. And I even got my mom to laugh, which was, like, basically I won the day. She's a pretty tough crowd. So I thought, this is great. I probably forgot about it. Now, obviously, this was intended to be kind of a, a snub to my uncle. But I had just, honestly, I didn't really think about it at all until a year later when, um, It came back to me in in a rather unfortunate way. So my mom's dad deputized me to be company for him on a road trip to visit his eldest daughter and then his son. So we had like two legs of this trip. Um, We went to see my mom's older sister first and I, being a good civic-minded youth, knew that my dad's brother was living in the same town and thought it might be nice to have dinner with them. So I asked for the adults to arrange it for me and it was duly arranged. I was dropped off and I sat down to what was probably the worst dinner of my life. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, my uncle was extremely chilly. His partner kept turning away and turning the TV volume up whenever I tried to make conversation. I was sitting there wondering, like, did my mom say something? Because they've never gotten along. I'm like, my mom and my uncle having a fight? Like, what's going on? But I didn't think there was anything going on at the moment. So I kind of, like, suffered through this dinner, just tried to be polite. But I was treated abominably. And then my uncle drove me back to my other side of the family's house and explained during this drive that apparently my offhand comment the previous summer, I mean, we're talking like nine to ten months ago, had incensed his partner so much that she no longer wanted to see me or speak to me ever again. Whoa. Yeah. So at the time I was like 14 and I was very upset about this. I felt terrible about it. I cried for an hour. I silently tormented myself about it for the next leg of our trip, which was like eight hours in the car with my poor grandpa who knew something was wrong, but he didn't know how to like ask if something was wrong. 
And I felt really ashamed of myself because, of course, I hadn't meant to hurt his partner's feelings. I was definitely aiming this comment at my somewhat shady uncle. <laughs> I was really confused because I had no idea why they didn't say this to me at the time. Like, I, I really didn't understand why it was coming out now. I mean, I lived in a world where the second I messed up, I would be told by all of the adults around me in really plain English, hey, Jennifer, you messed up. So to have this, like, coming back after I had pretty much forgotten it when I was like reaching out like hey I'm in town you're my uncle I'll come visit mm. like this felt really confusing and weird to me it's like having cold water thrown on you when you were expecting a hug yeah so once we got to the next stop on our journey my mom rang up and said your grandpa tells me something happened tell me what happened so I, so I was like okay <laughs> fine <laughs> so I fessed up and she hit the roof but not because of what I had said which to this day, she still thinks was funny, but because my dad's brother had accepted this dinner with me and then he and his partner had behaved appallingly and because he then lectured me about it without one of my parents present. You did nothing wrong, my mother told me. And she was at this point spitting venom. And I'm like, but I was really rude. And she said, no, you were just a kid. He should have known better. Mm. And that was the context I had been missing. It cleared up all of the confusion for me. I knew I had been rude. I had definitely been rude. Like when you hurt someone's feelings. That's just a fact. That's that's what happens. You've hurt their feelings. But I was a kid and kids are so dumb. Kids need to be told right away when they mess up. Waiting for nearly a, a year to be rude was not about teaching me a lesson I needed to learn. It was a way for them to be just as horrible to me as they felt that I had been to them. Only they waited until there was no one there to catch them doing it. That was the part that I had been confused about is like, what feels wrong about this? I knew that I had been in the wrong, but it felt worse than that for some reason. Mm. And I was really lucky that I had this whole cadre of adults who were like super on my side about it. Not just my mom, but my grandpa, um, my auntie, who we were visiting at the time when my mom called me. You know, she made me this really delicious dinner to make up for the terrible one. My grandpa made a lot of noises and he's like the most, he was the most gentle man alive. He made a lot of noises about how there was a grown man out there who needed a belting if he'd ever heard of one. And <laughs> like, I just felt so loved and looked after. I was given so much support and I really appreciated that my mom cleared that situation up for me in that moment. I was able to feel shame about my own actions and kind of realize that I couldn't say things like that, but I wasn't made to be ashamed for reaching out. It wasn't that I had done anything wrong by trying to be a friendly niece, you know, it was that these adults, they hadn't really wanted an apology. They hadn't wanted things to change. They were just trying to humiliate a child. Mm. And that was the part that I couldn't get past. So yeah, I think having people around to help put the situation in context, to see through all of the emotional scariness, that's what really made it okay for me. That's what really helped me to get through it. And that's been a really good way of kind of monitoring how I feel in the future. Um, if I get that confused feeling again, it's usually because I think I'm very likable, but maybe that person doesn't like me. And every single time I've felt that specific feeling of confusion, that's exactly the situation that I've been in. So it's kind of a good reminder for me that like, even though I'm adorable and amazing, not everyone's going to like me, but like, sometimes it just really isn't about me mm. and it's okay because like I can still try to do the right thing yeah that's horrible to put you in that situation like I agree with your mum they should never have accepted it just to do that to you like yeah. don't, if you don't want to see like if you're mad <laughs> then don't accept yeah. the dinner invitation like what honestly like why couldn't they like I was a, a 14 year old kid they could have just been like we're going to the ballet I wouldn't have known I would have had no idea what do I know about the private lives of adults except my parents yeah like, I don't know what people do when they're on their days off or whatever. They could have been busy. They could have been out of town. They could have been fishing. Yeah. No, it's unacceptable. Unacceptable. It was just a wild and very confusing thing. And the older I get, the more I'm like, team my mom on this one. If someone did that to my kid, I would be like, why didn't you just call me? 
Yeah. Why didn't you tell me about it? Like, I would help you find the way to talk about this if it's really bothering you. Very immature behavior. But yeah, confusion. It's the whole thing. Yeah, great. Well, let's get into our chapter summary and then we can talk about all the confusion, emotional confusion, etc. in this section. So, Oh my gosh. She's pretty hefty. Pretty hefty. But anyway... So in our chapters this week, Baz goes back to Simon Penny's flat and he discovers that Simon has left. And he left a sad little note for Baz, but nothing else. So Mm -hmm. Baz, in typical fashion, hunts him down to clarify exactly what Simon has been sorry about. And it turns out he was trying to avoid breaking up with Baz in person, which he now does. Honestly, it's pretty terrible. Mm. Meanwhile, Agatha is torching the contents of her bedroom one by one until her dad decides to put her to work in the clinic where she's subjected to the scrutiny of Neve, the magical veterinarian in training, who is about to separate Simon from his wings. Simon and Agatha have a moment. Simon has a real come-to-Jesus moment before the surgery and excuses himself to go ask Baz if things might have been different if he'd actually tried. They sort themselves out, and there's some lovely soft cuddling, sort of awful but manageable breakdown, and a minor gate crisis. But they're both together and happy. (sighs) How many times did you cry reading this? Because for me, it was four. I counted. (laughs) When I looked at the section, I was like, oh, so many pages. It's such a big section. But I'm glad Mm. that we did it like this because it's good to do it all together. I just think it makes sense to read these these chapters together because the emotional arc of it right like you're down and then you swing back up like it's so it's a lot it's a lot to read it's really it's really hurtful like it hurts on so many levels i hurt for baz i hurt for simon it's just so hard yeah but i really love that you see them starting to to heal already you know yeah they can't not keep opening the door for each other this is the thing that i really love about both of them that they want to keep giving each other enough room to apologize to fix it and even though baz is like oh i'm very desperate and i would take him back in a heartbeat he still stops himself from being like yes i grovel and he goes how would how would i do this if i had some pride you know yeah i think it's a beautiful moment yeah with Baz we definitely see confusion so strongly right because he's just confused by everything that is happening like from the moment that this chap like the section opens with him turning up at Penny and Simon's place he's just confused and Penny keeps going you know you know what I mean you know what I'm saying and he's like I don't I actually don't know yeah and it's like he doesn't want Uh, to know (laughs) yeah this is my question do you think that his confusion is like genuine misunderstanding or is it like a genuine confusion or is he just kind of in a bit of denial and he's like no this can't be right i think it's genuine confusion that comes from being in a very heightened emotional state how your brain just Mm. sort of whites out and you literally cannot make your brain interpret what is being given to you you know you can't process the set of circumstances so you're just like i don't what do you mean what do you mean and like on some core level you understand what's happening i just think it's the confusion of heartbreak like the confusion of being broken up with as well especially in a way like this where you like yeah things might have been terrible but you kind of thought that you were in an okay place and then it like comes out of nowhere yeah and the way because they've never communicated they've never really been good about their expectations of each other prior to this and i think that's why they misinterpret each other like when Simon says something, Baz takes it one way, which is not the way that Simon means it. But, you know, like, they're always doing that. And what I love about this section is that towards the end, when they're, like, reconciled, Baz is already so much better about asking Simon to clarify. He's like, well, when you say this, do you mean this? And Simon's like, no, that's not what I mean. And that is such a healthy step to be taking. Mm -hmm. And he's he's listening to Simon when Simon says things like, no, that's not how I meant it. Mm. And he's giving Simon the space to actually explain and expound on that which I think was really lovely like I I know he was angry going into that 
that first interaction they had. And they're both thinking, this is what I love and hate, but they're both thinking, like, this is going to kill me. I am being killed. This is literally the worst thing that's ever happening to me. And they're still having this argument breaking up. And Simon's like, just destroy me already. Like, just this is what I deserve. This is what I get. And it's just so awful because he has to then, like, figure out that he can't just end it without having tried. And I think he's actually so confronted by that fact that he literally has to, like, get up and leave right before he's about to have a major surgery just to yeah. go check, you know? Yeah, and I really it really struck me on this reread how it's when Neve says, you know, she's talking about him having that fight, like he was fighting the pain deer, and she's like, you know, you just came out swinging the sword, you didn't even use magic, and we were all yelling mm. at you to run, but you wouldn't run, you just stood your ground. And it's this moment of clarity for Simon where he's like, yeah, even when things mm. seem futile, I always used to, I stuck it out. And, and that's when he's like, I need to go, I need to go talk to Baz, because he realizes that he was never in it, right? Like he never actually tried. And I get that, I get the act of like, if I try and then I fail, then I've really lost something. But if I don't try yeah. and I fail, it's somehow easier to bear, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're only one foot in, then you only get one foot hit by the door when it yeah, closes. Exactly. Yeah. I just think Simon's really confused about himself and what his purpose is. Like, I think he's still trying to play into expectations about what he thinks he should be. Like, he used to be the chosen one. Now he's like, I'm a normal. So he has to do what is expected of a normal, right? Like, and his, the wings yeah. are such a clear metaphor for this because he's like, well, the wings have to come off. But he's already so used to them. Like, he talks about when they're tucked up that it's like fighting with a hand tied behind his back. Everyone yeah. else, like has this expectation as well we see that with Agatha where she's like oh finally like if it was me I would have had them off the next day and then she goes yeah. still and she has this memory of him flying and like flying about and Baz is kind of devastated about the fact that he's getting the wings taken off like he doesn't say it but it's yeah. like sort of implied you know and it just drives me mental that Simon can't see his own worth but specifically through the fact that he doesn't need magic to be a fighter and a protector like he's always done that without magic like always even when he had magic yeah well, and, the, yeah. like, this comes right after he's, like, literally fought and bested a goblin in his stairwell without magic. Like, he does it with a broomstick. Yeah. I love what you were saying about him not being able to see because there's actually, that's like, that's, like, really spelled out on page 54. He says, I can't, he's talking about trying to look around to see where his wings mm. connect. And he says, I can't quite manage it, but I can feel the joints there, the two knots where my skin goes from soft to leathery. He's trying to see his own wings. He can't really see himself clearly, but he still wants desperately to change. Like, he's looking forward to getting his wings taken off, and he can't even really see them. Only the people around him have seen them fully and entirely. And that ties right into Baz saying on page 59, it's hard to hide from somebody who loves you. Like, he's observed Simon so much, and he's seen him so much. Like, Simon might have this huge confusion about which identity he gets to keep. He's never had an identity. He's always been you know, an orphan, and then he was the chosen one, but he felt like he was a bad chosen one, and then he was a nobody again, but he had been a somebody, and he was just waiting for all of it to go. I feel like a lot of his confusion is is based around that, but but Baz seeing him anyway and seeing all of these things is something, yeah. there's something really beautiful about that. Baz has no confusion about who Simon is, like, in his core, but Simon has no idea. Yeah, and I think it's really comes to a head on page 64, like when he's saying, you know, mm. it's like I've been living in a museum. Here's Simon Snow. We thought he was the chosen one for a few years. Gave himself a tale. Look at the state of him. That is his yeah. inner voice. Like that is how he feels about himself. No one is thinking yeah. that about Simon. Like, you know, he projected all that stuff on Dr. Wellbelove in the first chapter as well about like, oh, you know, they look at me and this is what they see. No one is seeing that. They feel sorry for you. It's because you've been through a horribly traumatic thing. 
Like when Agatha's talking about, you know, oh, how many horrible, why should this one attack stand out of amongst all the others, right? And like Baz talks mm. about how when he thinks about the sad things that he doesn't even know about, the horrible things that Simon's lived through that he doesn't even yeah. know occurred. Like he has a traumatic history and people feel bad for him. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's not what he sees. Yeah. It's so yeah. horrible. But I love that he, when he comes back to Baz, he's like, you know, he talks about that confusion. He actually explicitly explains to Baz what the problem is. He says, you know, on page 90, I left the map. It's like I walked right out of the story and everyone had been telling about me. He's like trying to actually explain to him why. And, you know, I grabbed you on the way down and didn't feel like I could get to keep you. But if there's a chance that I can get to keep you, then I have to try, you know, like. Yeah. Because they've never trusted each other. And like Baz talks about the fact that he can't, he never trusted Simon. He doesn't feel like he can leave him alone or turn his back on him because he won't be there when he comes back. Yeah. And it all comes back to like the first book. I just always think about it. You know, like Simon came out and said to Baz, hey, I like you. I like this. And Baz was like, oh, so repressed. Right. So yeah, the, the course was set in that moment about giving and taking and how we express our emotions. Yeah. But then he says, I love you. And Baz has to live like, with that. What? He has to live in that moment. <laughs> I love that he's like, you love me? Splits. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the lead up to that as well as Baz is being very clear about his own expectations and boundaries in a way that we haven't seen from him before because he's already Mm -hmm. been through the worst thing, right? Like he feels he's already lost Simon. Now he's just mad. So, you know, he says on page 94, am I a video game that you're trying to be? And he's like really confused. He's like, then why are you here? Like, I don't, you know, he's really trying to puzzle it out. And that's when Simon says that he loves him. But I love that he asks that because he doesn't just want to be a mission that a puzzle that Simon has to solve, right? Yeah. He needs to be more. And he needs to know that it's not just... I I have a lot of feelings about that comment of Simon's about how he, he feels like Baz is something that he grabbed on the way down, but he doesn't get to keep. Because I think we do meet people sometimes. We're in a weird or bad place and we sort of have to, was it real? Was it ever real? And sometimes like, yeah, you can meet someone when you're in a free fall and they can still be an incredible person. And maybe they're for a reason and not a season. But I think there's this real impulse to just say oh I met them when I really needed them so I'm better now and maybe I don't I feel like we as a society have placed a lot of value on like you have to love yourself before someone can love you and like actually it's really hard to love yourself but if you have someone who's holding your hand and loving you into being a better person then that's okay I think it's it's just about accept that yeah I agree I think it's just about expectations and communication I think so much of confusion Mm. comes from miscommunication and we certainly see it in this right like Absolutely. Miscommunication is what gets them to this point in the first place because it's that thing about what we're doing versus what other people perceive that we're doing. Like the fact that Mm -hmm. Simon says, you know, you don't listen to me. And Baz is like, you never talk to me. You know, they keep saying that. Like, what on page 62, what have you ever actually told me, Snow? You're not listening. You never listen. I always listen. You never talk. Yeah. Because they're not communicating in a way that either of them can absorb and it's only when they really mm-hmm. let those defenses down and like are properly vulnerable with each other that they yeah. can hear each other and like they can get to a point you know Simon has this minor breakdown and Baz is like I don't mind taking care of you I much prefer that to you, you not talking me. to me and like ignoring <laughs> yeah. me like yeah. of course you do <laughs> you're just what that is such a beautiful moment and I really, I have to say, I really appreciate that we get to see this happen in the middle of a makeout 
where it could go one of two ways. People don't talk about this, but like sometimes being vulnerable sexually or intimately, you do get a lot of those big, scary feelings. Like it can be really hard to be that connected with someone else. And then you have to deal with like whatever is coming up at the same time. It takes a really incredibly strong person to just be like, hey, we can put this, we can put the brakes on this and I'll just hold you. Like it's okay to ask for that if you need it. And it's also okay that it happens. Like that is a normal thing to happen when you are dealing with trauma. And I just really love Baz's entire like, hey, I got this. This is fine. Like he clues in as soon as he's able to clue in, he figures it out. It's just really nice. He also asks compassionate but clarifying questions, I think. So he says to him, you know, because Simon's really worried that he's never going to get past this and they'll never be able to progress in their relationship. And Baz is like, are you saying you don't want to? And he's like, no, of course I want to. And he's like, okay, cool. Like he just needs to know because he doesn't want to assume anymore because I think assumptions have gotten them into a bad place. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I like that he's asking those questions too. Yeah. I like that they get to be a little bit more vulnerable with each other. And I like that I like that Baz is just existing in a world where he gets to say all of the mean things that he needed to say because he really needed to say all those mean things. He was hurting from this entire year of holding his breath and waiting. And also just having the most horrible time in America. Let us not forget, you know, he oh, had yeah. this horrific week where none of it was great for him. Yeah, and... There's another moment of confusion, which I think, like, because this breakup and reconciliation is so big, to I think to our hearts, but everyone else's as well, there's another moment of confusion where he's still trying to get through this breakup, but he needs to know if Fiona has heard anything about his mm-hmm. stepmother, and he's so confused that there are other chosen ones. Like, he's like, what? A tra- <laughs> is like a possibility? <laughs> to me, that just spoke of the expectations of the world of mages. Like, they're so beholden to this idea of a prophecy yeah. and there being a chosen one. And they can't see that the prophecy has been fulfilled, which is clearly mm-hmm. what has happened. They just pissed it, like, ah, it drives me nuts. I'm like, what are you doing? We're done. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Tick. Yeah, time for a new prophecy. Oh. The old one's done. But it gives him a lead, which is what he needs to find his stepmother. Because that's still that's still something he has to deal with. And yeah. it, it does strike me that Fiona has a distinct lack of curiosity about it. And I think that's a protective measure on her part, but also it kind of drives me nuts sometimes. Baz does need somebody a little bit better in his life who can help guide him, and he recognizes yeah. that. Yeah, I do love that Baz has very clear expectations of who he is as a person. Like, he has expectations of himself and beha- of his behavior, right? Like, even when he said, I told myself I'd be calm when I found him, and then he's just, like, actually yep. fuming. But even yeah, yeah. in that moment, like, he pulls himself up from a couch. He has this conversation with Fiona because the world hasn't stopped turning just because he's falling apart having right? a hard like, time yeah yeah i just love everything about them and this i think it's so wonderful that they're having this conversation and it's actually very emotionally mature in a lot of ways yeah. considering how messed up they are that they can have this conversation i think a lot of people are never capable of having this real honest conversation about why they're genuinely breaking up like i think it would be better if we could like instead of being like it's not you it's me like just freaking have the conversation about what's actually going on yeah yeah i'm in a weird spot because of someone very close to me has just been dumped and it was really out of the blue and um you know i sort of mentioned it in general terms to someone else and and they were like well that's their right to break up with them if they want to and i was like yeah but there was no discussion it was just over it was like fine one day and then done the next and there was yeah no inciting incident it was just like not 
I'm done. It feels disingenuous unless you both sort of know it's coming. Like Baz didn't want it to be happening, but he knew what was happening. And there are several points where he's like, I know what he's saying, but I want him to say it. Like I'm pretending I don't know what's happening, but I need him to tell me. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I see where you're coming from. Like if it's just literally out of the blue and the other person doesn't know what's happening, it feels really cruel because you never gave the other person an opportunity to no right of reply. Like I'm not saying you, you, you don't have to, obviously it is your right to break up with someone, but I feel like you need to tell someone if they're doing something wrong. You can't just sit there and like get more and more resentful or like plot your way out of a relationship. If you've never communicated to the other person that there's something wrong, it's so cruel and unnecessary yeah i yeah i mean it's been a long time since i've been in a position where i had broken up with anyone i just never felt like one conversation was enough it was always like three or four conversations or 15 or 16 or 20 conversations sometimes like it took me a year to break up with someone i don't understand how you can just stop calling someone i don't know how you can just unravel that kind of relationship and i think that this is what this is the confusion I have. And I think the confusion that Baz has as well is that he's like, well, I've been waiting to lose him and I thought it would be awful, but I had no idea just how bad it would be. Yeah, when he talks about it being slow motion, right? And he's just at the bit where he hasn't even grasped this heart yet. Like he's just mm-hmm. going through this real slow motion tragedy. I think it's very accurate of how it feels. Absolutely. I think that confusion sort of dominates the section because it is such a big thing. But I also love that, like, Neve's thinking about Neve's confusion because she must, she's so confused about this Agatha Simon situation. She's confused by Agatha. She's probably really confused about Simon just running off. Like, all of it must just be so confusing for her. She's such a perplexed individual anyway. (laughs) Well, I love that Agatha's a little confused about Neve, too. So, at first, she's like, I'm annoyed that this person made me clean, clean exam room number four a whole bunch of times. Like, she's mad about that. But then, like, the more that she is interacting with her and watching her interact with Simon she goes from thinking she frowns all the time to she has a fantastic face for frowning to she frowns at it maybe that's just her thinking face (laughs) running her hand along the bony ridge of his wing you did save our lives though thanks for that like she's transforming her thoughts about Neve as she's like we're seeing it happen in real time and she's still like very negative and also can I just say Simon has a type Mm. annoyed but attracted that is his type (laughs) I love when she's like, your bedside manner is terrible, which I would agree that Neve's bedside manner is terrible, but yeah. <laughs> I think it works for Simon because she's so direct with him. Yeah. I mean, she wants to be a vet, so she she doesn't need to have a bedside manner because she's going to be a veterinarian, but yeah. I thought it was yeah. fascinating that she talked about the dragons killing, um, doing a mercy killing if a dragon loses their wings, because I'm like, oh my God, mm. Simon... All the signs are giving you about your wings. Like, just listen. Like, your gut is saying no when about this whole situation. Just, I just need you to stop yeah. conforming to what you think you should be doing and just actually figure out what you want to do. And whether that is to keep your wings or not, just do it for yourself and not because you think it's expected of you to can fit into some sort of box. Like, ugh. Yeah. Another confusion. Little Bobby. I love the well-beloved's hmm. confusion about what to do with Agatha. Like, can you imagine? Their daughter comes <laughs> back from, like, being away for ages and now she's just holed up in her room, burning things to the Torching ground. everything. I love that that's what she's doing. She's watching cat videos and just pointing her wand at things and burning them. <laughs> like, mood, honestly. I l- I've had weeks like that where I just want to lay on my bed and also burn things to the ground one by one. I love her expectations of her life. Like she's always expected to find herself in a position of peril. Like she's almost like resigned to it. She's like, fine, it's going to happen again. Mm. But she's like, no, I have clear expectations of how I'm going to handle it. She says, never, not again, not one more time. The next person who touches me is Ash. Like, yeah, girl, get it. Yeah. It's kind of nice that she's accepted that 
the world is an inherently dangerous place. It's not just Simon. Yeah. That's causing this. Like, she's just like, actually, you could wander into a bad situation at any moment. I mean, I think she's still overcorrecting, but I love that that has now been clarified for her. And I think it makes her a little gentler with Simon, too, when she sees him. Like, she's able to sort of meet him where he's at. And, like, she's begging him not to talk about his feelings because, like, they're so similar. They neither of them really want to talk about their feelings. But I love that he apologizes to her. Mm. And I love that he apologizes for being a crappy boyfriend without saying all of that. He just says, I'm sorry. And then she starts crying because she knows exactly what he's talking about. I'm getting tearful thinking about it. But I love that they're still in sync as friends. I think that that's so... It's so underrated, and like nobody talks about the fact that Agatha and Simon dated for all this time, and that they were actually really good friends. I'd say they're more like brother and sister, almost, in terms of how they relate to each other now, where they just know each other really well, but they don't have to talk every day. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But I, I love that they have this clarifying moment, and that she's able to meet him where he's at, and she's begging him not to talk about but he still has to apologize and that's just really beautiful yeah. it's like he's giving in to the expectation or he's giving up the expectation that he had to do a certain thing acknowledging that the expectation didn't bear out for them yeah i also want to talk a little bit about penny i mean she's barely in this she's only in the first yeah chapter with baz but i think it's interesting that baz has these expectations of penny that she would look after simon right and he is so confused by the fact that she's just not doing what he expects her to do. Like, he's yeah. like, you left him. You lost him. I left him with you for a you week and you go. lost him. And then she's, you know, he says that Simon needs them. And on page 50, she says, no, he needs me to let him make his own decisions. And then I think we're really seeing the, repre- the repercussions of her grappling with the expectations of herself, right? Like she says on page 48, Simon needs me. That was always my excuse for doing whatever I wanted, for making him do what I thought best. It was more like I was his commanding officer than his friend. Like, she's having a real yeah. crisis as well, which is building on this, all the stuff she's yeah. got about not being right and, like, the expectations from her parents and stuff. I don't think she's wrong. Like, I think this is really healthy for Penny because they are incredibly codependent, and I think she's right that she says he needs yeah. me to let him make his own decisions. It's hard when you see someone struggling and you don't necessarily know what to do, but I think... I think she's doing the right thing here. I agree. I think that her reasoning isn't perfect. I think she's had emotional blow after emotional blow and she's just been knocked over. But I don't think it's the wrong thing because she's actually honoring his request and she listens to him Mm. and she listens to what he asks her to do. And she does that. And that is that is love. And for Penny to like subsume her own instinct, to push it down and to then respect someone else's wishes is a huge act of love for her yeah like that is anyone else like a dozen roses a horse-drawn carriage that like you know what i mean yeah and i think it's you already mentioned that baz says you know it's hard to hide from someone who loves you later we'll see the subversion of that when penny says it's hard to i wrote it down hang on yeah later on she'll say it's hard to hide from someone you love because she is so secure in the fact Mm -hmm. that simon loves her that she's like i can find him it's hard to hide from someone you love whereas baz says you know it's hard to hide from someone who loves you because he's never believed that simon loves him but i love that connection between penny and simon and the fact that she can afford to let him go because she doesn't necessarily believe that she's never going to find him again yeah she says that doesn't she maybe if you love something you should set it free and he's like no no my aunt fiona used that as a shoelace spell for me like that is not what we're talking about here i think she's also (laughs) right though when she says to baz maybe it's worse for you like obviously like leaving a note that Mm. was horrible like horrible i don't blame baz for hunting him down i would have done the same thing yeah there's that great um line in this is the end by phoebe bridges where she says 
you know, she's talking about like ghosting her friends and leave like disappearing from her own life. And yeah, I think that's what Simon's trying to do. He's just trying to reinvent himself as somebody else. And he can make Penny understand, but he's no- he knows he would crack if Baz were there. Yeah. Because Penny, he's known for so long that he can figure out the way to get to her. But Baz, it's just too tender. Um, There was another callback to the first book, which I really loved, on page 99, where they're kind of, you know, okay, we're, we like each other, we're going to try. And, like, Baz is sitting there and, look, like, wondering, does he kiss Simon? And mm. he says, and then he kisses me. And I was like, book one, here we are again. Only nothing's actually on fire. Love that for them. Yeah, it's great. It's it's nice little beginning. Because they are beginning again, right? As, as a mm. unit, they found their way back to each other. And, you know, Simon... Baz talks about why am I so being so strange about this why does this feel so strange they're so careful with each other yeah but the butter on the sandwiches that I think I I, it made me cry it made me cry that Simon was so pathetically grateful about that because when you've had a life where you just don't get that sort of displayed love like those little acts of like I know you and I care for you when someone does that for you it just feels like they've handed you the moon I just also think that whole bit is just them setting clear expectations they're making an effort to communicate and how when you do that it's so much easier like when you have expectations of what you think a relationship should be and you don't talk about it everything is just unnecessarily difficult like it can really hurt you doing that trying to fulfill these expectations of what someone else has of you but if you're both just honest and communicate it's immediately easier and we see the effect on Simon right like Mm. this thing that would have previously been catastrophic like Simon would have flounced off and Baz would have left but now they can't because they've set expectations of each other's behavior you know it gets to a point where Baz makes a joke about it and Simon talks about feeling a lot lighter because now he's like saying to Baz you can't be ashamed of your vampirism if I have to deal with this like ha 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 and they have these real moments of humor and levity which I think is so important in a relationship like the ability to like Mm. find that lightness together even when things are hard yeah. I think we should touch on Simon not being gay or bi or anything. I love that he still refuses to embrace an identity. And I think this is also really valid. I, I like that Baz, I mean, I love that Baz knows who he is. And I love that Baz is like, yes, completely gay. That's fine. And I also like that Simon's like, I really don't know. Like, I just, it's just you. Attraction's one thing. The way I feel about you is completely different to anything I felt about anyone else. Maybe I'm just yours. Like, I really love that. I mean, I I don't think he needs that label. I don't think he needs any label. I love that he's just able to acknowledge that, like, it's just you, Baz. It's just you. This is something I think people want definitions for in their life, but we don't always need them. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a real expectation of how to be queer that we see a lot, both Uh, in the public space, but even with friends or family or whatever, people will want expectations like definitions of what you are and how you fit things and I think you know we've spoken about it before especially in younger generations there's this real need to label everything all of the time and it's actually fine not to know as long as you know and you feel it yeah I don't really know why you should get your like all twisted up about it right yeah I want Simon to be okay with the umbrella term and I want Baz to be okay with him being in the umbrella term yeah i think it's just as a example of baz hadn't really considered it right like he just he says oh i just assumed Mm. and now he's like confronted with this thing and he acts like he's surprised by it and confused by it but i think he does get to a point at the end when he says you know like i'm sorry to bring it up it doesn't matter you don't have to know you know yeah absolutely but i do love they have the conversation um okay well i have a lot of notes but i think we should unless there's anything else (laughs) that really you want to discuss about confusion or expectation perhaps we move on (laughs) Um, I think I had one last thing. I do want to talk about how Simon has this expectation that the best thing in his life is 
is going to be Baz and he's like willfully giving yeah. that up. So he actually talks about it. He says, I know I'll never love anyone like I love Baz. I know he's the love of my life, of all my lives. Mm -hmm. And later, a few lines down, he says, this was my life to find love, the truest love, the biggest. But this isn't my life to have it. Like, he feels this. He knows this in his soul. This is what he wants to do, but he doesn't feel like he's allowed to have it. He feels like he must give it up. And that, that was something that really struck me as an expectation. And part of why he's like, just ghosting his whole former world of mages life because he if he feels like he can't have it he doesn't even want to be reminded of it yeah so that was the only other thing i really wanted to bring up there yeah and then i think it's interesting as well because he's so afraid like there's a, an interesting bit this is more tangential but you know on page 98 mm. simon says that he's scared and he says i don't know how to be to how not to be afraid that you'll leave me and then down further down he says you might not want me once you don't have to worry about me leaving which is interesting because it creates yeah. the sense of like keeping someone on your toes, like treat him mean, keep him keen. Like that's the kind of vibe. Yeah, yes. And on page 99, Baz says, this thing between us didn't start with us dating. It didn't even start when you kissed me. You're in me so deep. I wouldn't know how to dig you out. I may get fed up with you. So Simon, I will never get tired of you. And I think that is so interesting. <laughs> As like, like it's a beautiful thing. Like I think beautiful to be like, it doesn't matter what you do in a way. Like I love you unconditionally, right? Like this is not, yeah. This doesn't isn't dependent on what you you do or how you behave. You don't need to worry about like me getting bored with you or like turning my back on you. But Simon's like, well, if you don't, if you're not scared about me going, then what's the point of me? Almost like I have to give you a reason yeah. to care. Like, why would you like me? Oh, it's just so. He hard. doesn't feel like he's worthy of him anymore, right? He feels like he's not a match anymore. What is it on page 62? He says, all I see is what I've lost, mm. who I was, his match, somebody, someone who might someday deserve him. Yeah, he thinks there's no way he can get back to that, right? But then, you know, before that, on page 49, when Baz is still talking to Penny, he says, I'm not happy, but I'm smart enough to realize that losing Simon would only make it worse. Yeah. And that really got me because I feel like, I mean, I am the queen of saying, dump him whenever my friends are having a hard time. But like honestly sometimes you really do love someone and you just want to whinge about them and your friend yelling dump him isn't that helpful so i need to remember like they they might love them and realize that without them their life is worse even if my instinct is to say dump him yeah i think baz has um, very clear expectations of <laughs> simon's behavior right like he kind of expects simon mm. to behave this way he's like yeah this is terrible but i think it's not until he holds simon accountable that that they get anywhere like so when simon gets up he says on page yeah. 94 i'm so bad at this at people at him I shouldn't have come here. I stand up. His hand latches onto my wrist. Don't you dare. I sit down again. Okay, sorry. Because now Baz mm. finally is taking agency. Like, he's taking control of the situation. He's, like, setting clear yeah. boundaries for Simon. And he's like, no, we're not doing this. And I love when Simon is like, I'm the problem. As always, true. as is always true in literally every situation, it's me. Like, okay, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> anyway. Bless. Yeah, it's it's I think there's something about how Simon needs that firmness and we see that played out. This is a real theme in the book that he needs that firmness, like when he's freaking out about people touching his wings, whether it's Neve or Baz, he's like hard touches, hard presses. And when Baz is finally firm with him instead of soft with him, that's where Simon's like, OK, I can do this. And part of that makes me feel like, ooh, is this another thing that like he was the mage's heir and like this is a response where like if he's told to do something he will do it like how penny's like no i basically was the commander to mm. him and not a friend like he is very good at just like following an order but also maybe that's okay if 
he's got people who he can trust. I right? think he just can't live in the gray spaces. He's not a creature of nuance. He's not like Baz can. He's always been in the gray spaces. No one in his family ever says anything mm-hmm. straight up ever. Like it's always reading between the lines and doing all these things. And like no, some, he's a cryptographer by nature. Some people are better at it. Like I feel like I'm quite good at living in the nuanced areas and like living between between the spaces right but some people can't do it with some people you have to be very direct and set clear boundaries and clear expectations and just like really lay down the rules and stick to them because some people can't handle when the rules are down and you don't adhere to them like I've got friends like that yeah and I think Simon is just one of those people that's like no I need I need to know where the lines are so that I can follow them and stick between them and that's not necessarily like I don't think it's a manipulation thing no absolutely not no I I agree I think it's just he needs comfort in knowing what is what's expected of him. And I kind of wonder if, not that this is anyone's fault, but I do kind of wonder if Baz's quiet fear that Simon was just ready to check out and leave didn't contribute to Simon being like, well, this was always going to happen, like the inevitability of Absolutely it. Absolutely think that is correct. Like the way that they were both okay. also behaving, yeah. like so the softly, softly approach of never wanting to push him too far, of never actually wanting to say what you want, like that just makes Simon think that he's disconnecting. I just think everything they were doing regardless of how they were behaving in ways to try and keep the thing together they were actually just alienating each other because they couldn't do it in a way that they understood Mm -hmm. like they couldn't read the signals that they were sending to each other because they hadn't had this conversation that you need to have perfectly said draw the lines so you can color in them or color outside of them if that's your thing we are never gonna have a satisfying relationship if you don't know what you don't know like if you don't know what the other person's limits are if you don't know what the other person expects of you whether or not you can meet those expectations is besides the point that's a compromise as well like you can still have a conversation but you can't do that if you don't know and if you're just always trying Mm. to please one partner because you think that's what you need to do then you're sacrificing your own happiness which is what Baz is doing you're just betraying yourself over and over again and that's never going to lead to a satisfying relationship either so just I know it sucks but just like be vulnerable and chuck it out there and if it doesn't work it doesn't work you save yourself yeah. five years, probably. <laughs> like, yeah. I think no love is wasted too, right? So even if it doesn't work out, no. you learn something. Exactly. You get something. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's hard and awful. Like if it hurts, you know that you cared. And that's important too. Yep. Okay. Well, I've done all of my tangential already. Did you have anything? I think I've covered all of mine as well. I just wanted to call back that call back to book one where, and then he kisses me. Mm. I love that Simon always makes the first move and Baz always wants to. It's so cute. It makes my heart so happy because they needed that. Mm, they yeah, needed they that. Um, do you have an in-depth? I sure do. So my in-depth is from Agatha's chapter. It's page 72. So Neve has brought Agatha into the exam room to help and calm Simon down. She's standing there. She's like, they're both shocked to see each other. But now she's standing there and she's like watching this whole unfold. And she has this observation. So on page 72, it says, It's a strange feeling to look at someone's chest and know it's nothing to do with you anymore. But still to remember kissing every inch. So mm. I think this whole scene is confusion is very prevalent because they're surprised to see each other. And also yeah. Neve is just confused by everything that is happening. Yeah, she thinks they're still boyfriend, girlfriend. I also think there's a confusion about the wing removal itself. Like Simon's confused by whether he wants it or not. Agatha's like expecting mm. it, but also thinking of him like rescuing them and there's confusion there. And, you know, Neve is like, yeah, well, dragons would just do a mercy killing if I took their wings off, you know, all these things. Mm. And in this particular marginalia, I think there's an expectation of closeness. Like when you know someone, 
and you've known them previously in this like really intimate way there's an expectation there of how you're going to behave towards each other but I think circumstances have changed and so the way you feel about that change can leave you feeling very confused right so it reminds Mm -hmm. me of a conversation that I actually had at work this week with a close mate of mine we were talking about how weird it is when you've broken up with someone this is someone that you spent all your time with this is someone who you know knew you better than anyone else at the time and then you break up and you Mm. literally never talk to them again they're just like out of your life they're just gone this person who was everything to you for a while you just don't see them anymore they don't know what's happening in your life you don't know what's happening in theirs they're just gone there's just a hole right like where they used to be and of course that reminds me of the song somebody that i used to know which was quite big a couple of years ago Because there's that whole line that says, like, in the chorus, it goes, but you didn't have to cut me off, make it out like it never happened and that we were nothing. And I don't even need your love, but you treat me like a stranger. And that feels so rough. And I think that genuinely is the thing. It's like you had this intimacy and when the intimacy is taken away, it's such a bizarre thing. But the human brain is so amazing because we learn to just live with it. And this person that yeah. like meant everything to you, this horrible situation where you were so sad when it ended for whatever reason, there's a real grief that comes with that ending. Give it some time and you're like, oh yeah, that, that happened. That was a thing. Like you don't feel anything yeah. anymore. Like it's just like, wow, that person was everything to me for X number of years. And now I'm just like, oh, I wonder whatever happened to them. You know, like it's such a yeah. bizarre thing when you think about it. It is so, it is so strange how we can let, people go and I've done that I've let people go but it's still weird truly truly bizarre and just I think testament to how good we are at reframing our lives to keep living because I think sometimes if you let the emotions get to you you would just we would never do anything our capacity to feel would just like throw us in a a ditch and we'll never be able to get out but going forward I think when you're in that initial moment of heartbreak, it's hard to remember that there's any other feeling except how horrible and sad you're feeling. Like, you know, Baz on the couch, he's just in it, right? But I want to yeah. remind us all of the words of Taylor Swift, where she says in the song Happiness that, you know, there will be happiness after you, but there was happiness because of you. Because, like, no love is wasted, as you said. Like, everything has yeah. its purpose. And, yeah... It hurts, but you'll get to a point where you'll have fond memories of the thing and you can still move on and with your life and never even think about that person. So you can take from you can take something good from every relationship. So I think just hold on to the good and let go of the rest. Like there's no point holding on to all that baggage. Just let it go. Yeah. Did you have an in-depth marginalia for us? I do. So it's on page 52. It's when uh, Simon is fighting the goblin and he's just really over it. He's just tired. So the line I chose was, he keeps coming. I decide to let him. The mage taught me this, that sometimes the best way to get under someone's guard is to let them get close. Now, this one just hit me like a truck because Mm. of what's happening in this whole section that, you know, he's, I think you could construe if you were looking at it from the outside that he and, and Baz have had a similar thing where like he got close to Baz and then like let his guard down. But I, I don't think that's what's happening. I just think it's a really interesting parallel that he's using this confusion by subverting expectations in order to survive. Um, and honestly, he's just so tired. He doesn't want to be fighting this, this goblin. He doesn't want to be having this Mm. conversation about like, I will kill you. If you come back, I'll kill you. Even if I see you at the supermarket by accident, like don't ever let me see you again. He doesn't want to be doing it, but he's so naturally a fighter that he's just calling on his training and he's letting muscle memory take over. And this is like something that the mage taught him. Like, let them get close and get get under their guard and 
it just made me think about like every single spy novel how there's a honey trap and like it just made me really sad that you like you're always questioning these connections in that in that sort of world um but it also reminded me of an old coworker of mine who used to say, fake it till you make it. And I honestly thought she had invented that phrase for the longest time ever. I was like, she's a genius. I had no idea. This was what a great concept. No, she did not invent it. But I'm grateful that she told me that. Um, and I think that the way it applies here is that despite all of the confusion that Simon is feeling at the moment, he could actually just fake that he's okay letting Baz in until he actually is comfortable with letting Baz in. Like, I think he could just be brave about it. And he hasn't really thought about that. Um, so that's kind of where I landed on that. Hmm. Um, but going forward, it just it just reminded me to, like, be genuine with people in a way that sometimes I find really hard. Like, I would rather not get close to people if I could avoid getting hurt. Like, I feel like the closer I am to someone, the more vulnerable I am, the more I'll be hurt and I'm having to let myself really like decide these days working through some things like what I'm willing to be vulnerable what I'm willing to be vulnerable about it's just it's just a bit of a reminder like I do want to get close to people but not so that I can get in and hurt them like I want to get close to people so that I can be my more vulnerable and genuine self so Mm. just a little reminder to me it's hard as we both dislike it but it's important yeah yeah uh Living is so difficult. Stop Being a human is so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well then, who are you spotlighting this week? It's really hard to pick, but I'm going to spotlight Simon because I feel like he needs mm. a parent. And I really want to just make him have a shower and make him eat some food and make him talk about his feelings and just sit him down and be like, okay, here are the things you need to do. You need to get a job. You need to call your boyfriend. You need to, like, I just really want to parent him. But I also know that he's in a lot of pain. And I really wish I could just give him a hug to help him feel better. Mm. A really big, hard, squeezy hug. So, yeah. Simon for me this week. He's going through it. Yeah. And he's being vulnerable. He actually, like, comes back and tries to fix it, which is so brave of him. Ugh, I love it. How about you? Who are you spotlighting this week? Spotlighting Baz. My little emo, my little emo Baz. Um, Yeah, I just think this is horrible for him. He's come from this like family situation where everything is kind of terrible and fraught and he just wants to, you know, he's been ghosted by his boyfriend, but he just wants to see him and he Mm. knows that Simon and Penny will help him fix this problem. And then he comes back and it's just absolute chaos. And like, he comes home to a note, like a note after everything they've been through. A note. A dear John I know. But it's not even a Dear John letter. It's just, I'm sorry. It's so horrible. And then he has to go and he has to hear, you know, that Simon can't stand the sight of him and all these things. And he doesn't even know if he loves him. And he's like, is it worse that he never loved me? Or is it worse that he loves me and he just doesn't want to be with me? And he's just like, it's so horrible being in that, like feeling that utter, utter heartbreak. Like, just horrible. So yeah, I just want to spotlight him. And anyone else who's going through horrible heartbreak, as I said, I know you don't believe it, but there will be a time when it no longer hurts like i promise you it's the one thing we're very good at doing as human beings 100 percent. and it's great that we have that ability like i feel like the strength of humanity is that we're adaptable we're very resilient really yeah and we're persistence predators right we'll just walk at a sustainable pace behind the thing we want until it lies down and we can go and kill it with our big spear or whatever and truly baffling behavior we'll keep doing the thing that hurt us in the first place we'll do it again you'll fall in love again despite your better judgment yep 
the worst. <laughs> I mean, it's the best, but also it's the Ugh. worst. Anyway, yeah. Anybody who gets their heart thoroughly smashed and then is willing to go in for another round is, like, braver than any U.S. Marine, right? Honestly. Um, do you have any homework for our readers this week? I do not have any homework, no. Apologies. Been busy. How about you? <laughs> I have just ordered a beautiful new cookbook, Baking Yesteryear, mm. by B. Dylan oh, Hollis, yeah. who is the yelling scrawny guy mm-hmm, on tiktok mm-hmm. who does all of the vintage recipes and i haven't read it yet because it hasn't arrived yet but when it does arrive i am sure i'm going to really enjoy it so i'm just going to put that as my homework this week because i'm so excited for it to come in the mail oh great i told my therapist this week that i wanted to get down to 80 percent cooking at home because my kids have started going hey mom what are we ordering for dinner and i was like okay point taken <laughs> maybe i should cook some more so hopefully that will help me to make some actual meals even if they're terrible great I think that is very brave of you because that's a big commitment <laughs> when life is hard and things are overwhelming to know that you have to cook because can be very hard. So I'm proud of you for doing the hard thing. Thank you. And honestly, the takeout prices haven't gone up, but groceries have gone up so much. Like It's insane. I feel like if I stayed, yeah, like I, I could not believe it. Oh, well, next week we're going to be reading chapters 20 through 28 through the theme of vulnerability. Woo. So... We'll see how we go. We love Thank you so much for partying. Um, yeah, lovely to see you. Thank you so much. Appreciate Me you. Too. Yes, I'm so glad we get this time together. And I'm glad that you've been going to see so many amazing World Cup games. I have been to exactly zero. <laughs> so I'm really jealous. Yeah, well, you know, I feel like it's easier because the stadium's right here and the city is a lot smaller. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at going to a couple, but then I thought the parking alone would do my head in. I just... I have a nice, I have two nice big TVs. I can just choose one of those and watch it yeah, on the TV. Fair enough. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. All right. Well, I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com. Check out our Instagram or maybe dash up a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website, www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 